Vice-Chancellor for that very kind introduction. And uh, good evening, uh, Program uh, Director. Uh, good evening, everyone. Assalamu alaikum. It's indeed a great pleasure for me to be here in Addis Ababa, the home of we Africans. Although, of course, we have a debate because we believe the cradle of humankind is South Africa. Ethiopians believe the cradle of humankind is Ethiopia. So we share the kudos, and scientists will eventually determine. Uh, the outcome. Allow me to begin by recognizing the State Minister of the Ministry of Education, but more particularly the Minister of Education, Your Excellency. We're really thrilled that you could join us this evening. And of course, all the ambassadors who are our permanent uh, representatives to the African Union and representing their countries. Uh, in Ethiopia. Excellencies, warm greetings to you all. It's a great pleasure to be with you uh, this evening and not to be fighting with you in the African Union in Nelson Mandela Hall. Um, not dealing with ambassadors today. Allow me as well to recognize our own Ambassador Mutakedi Abdu the Ambassador of Ethiopia to South Africa, and of course, the Vice-Chancellor of the University of South Africa. This is an extremely important office to occupy because the University of South Africa is not just any university. It's a significant institution in global terms. I would also like to recognize all the colleagues of Professor Linkabula, uh, the uh, deputy vice-chancellors who are accompanying her and the various uh, senior officials and of course all other senior officials from our departments in South Africa and then Dr. Abera, the regional director of the UNISA Ethiopia Regional Learning Center and all uh, distinguished guests and ladies and gentlemen uh, present here this evening. I feel really honored and privileged to have the opportunity to address you at this amazing event, an event which marks a very important milestone in the life of the University of South Africa. The uh, program director forgot in her list of exalted persons to mention that a hundred years ago, a young African man became the first African to graduate from UNISA and he was my grandfather for a I'm uh, especially pleased that UNISA, in planning for this evening, has chosen the very significant theme of science diplomacy, reclaiming Africa's intellectual future into the next 150 years. There can be no more important theme than that particular one, because we are challenged as the continent to ensure that uh, we develop and hone our intellectual resources in a manner that will contribute to significantly advancing the development of our continent. We have an abundant presence of human resources, a 
very, very well-populated continent. And as His Excellency the Minister has said, we've not put the opportunity of human development to the best use possible. And we are challenged to do that. And so the theme of reclaiming our intellectual future is an extremely significantly important one. We uh, have been told that in 1946, UNISA became the first university in the world to adopt an open distance education model. At that time, I remember they say it was called learning by correspondence through the UNISA Division of External Studies. The foresight and agility are what have seen UNISA adapting its practices through different iterations over the years. And now we celebrate it still standing, still strong, 150 years later. Of course, you will all remember that institutions of higher learning as well as education institutions were confronted from 2019 on our continent with a very significant challenge of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And many of us in government spent nights thinking about how we would respond and particularly how the education sector would respond to the challenge of COVID-19, given that contact was a very serious threat of raising uh, infections. I'm sure UNISA didn't debate this issue of how to continue to offer quality education because uh, they had confronted the subject of virtual education over many, many decades. And so they were one of the universities that were able to respond speedily and smartly to the challenge of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And I think uh, the fact that they had really begun to mature the offerings of distance learning, they were able to easily refit their digital offerings to ensure that their education programs could continue. And I think uh, it's important that whenever we think of UNISA, we think of congratulating it for being innovative and foresighted, because this is absolutely uh, imperative. I believe that celebrating an institution that is 150 years old is an important celebration, not just for South Africa, but for the entire African continent. And with respect to UNISA, it's a celebration for the globe. The reason I say that is that an institution such as this one offers something very different to those who wish to study. If I was a woman who was working as a nurse in a hospital, and I wanted to acquire a BSc in public health, I could continue with my nursing profession while I studied for that degree through a distance institution such as UNISA. And I could be assured that that program that I'm following is a quality program and that I will become a senior 
sector of health profession. So I think it's really important that we, as Africa, recognize UNISA as being a life-changing institution for many people, particularly in our context and on the continent for the working class who don't often enjoy the opportunity for the elite contact universities that are extremely expensive for many of our working class communities uh, to afford. With UNISA, you could follow one or two modules or three or four, depending on your financial ability, depending on where you were in terms of your studies. So I think as a contributor to human resource development, it has played an extremely important role. I've often been concerned at the fact that on the African continent, we don't have significant numbers of PhDs, and in particular, significant numbers of full-time researchers. Uh, Minister, when I was Minister of Science and Technology, everybody used to call me Dr. Pandor, Dr. Pandor, because they thought no person can be Minister of Science if they don't have a doctorate. At the time, I had two masters of arts, so I thought maybe I'm close, you know, for a doctorate. But being a very honest person, I eventually became embarrassed and uncomfortable at continuing to say, no, I'm not Dr. Pangle, and saying it at a podium. And I thought, okay, I better make this real. And so at quite a, at quite a senior age, I decided to pursue my PhD, and I actually successfully completed it. So today, when they say Mrs. Pando, I say Dr. Pando. <laughs> and uh, why I refer to this is because what UNISA has done in Ethiopia has been extremely important. UNISA has produced over 800 master's uh, degree uh, uh, graduates and a large number of PhDs. This is an extremely important achievement. But what I hope we will do with those graduates in the theme of reclaiming Africa's intellectual futures, I hope that we will use these graduates to be full-time researchers in our various ministries, our departments, and our public institutions so that through their research and the skills they've acquired, they would inform the kind of changes we wish to see. It's very odd, Minister, that we will take someone who has no understanding of curriculum development to develop a new curriculum in a changing education system. We should be using curriculum experts. We don't use statisticians to gather data that informs us about what we should do with our education system. In these over 400 PhDs, in these over 800 masters, lie some of your young experts who will help you to transform education in Ethiopia to quality education. So use these graduates to good effect, because that is what is meant by reclaiming your intellectual capital. We have produced many graduates, but our young people feel 
their intellectual capacity is not being utilized on our continent. And we have to give them an answer by providing them with the opportunity to play a role in the transformation of our societies. So for example, if we wish to introduce digital learning, you can't take a 50-year-old to do that. It's sorry to the 50-year-old. Uh, if you have a 25-year-old who's very good at coding, who's extremely interested in software development, it is that young person who will contribute to the kind of radical change that we need in education. So I think let us use the intellectual capability we have created to make the difference in our society. I think uh, one of the matters that uh, we need to address relates to what the Minister of Education uh, touched upon. And that is, we need, as African countries, to ask ourselves sometimes very hard but basic questions. Questions such as, what do we want South Africa to be like in 2063? What will UNISA be like in 2063? Or what will UNISA be like in 2173, 150 years from now? And to ensure that that vision that we have is achieved, what do we need to do between now and the lifetime uh, we still have? So I think it's vital that we begin to become better at looking into the future and really starting to shape an African continent, a set of African countries that have within them the ability to really help us to create a very different world. What kind of contribution do we want the university, which will be based here, the campus here, to make to Ethiopia in terms of training future scholars, future professionals, and in generating new knowledge. One of the challenges that we have on the African continent, every development plan you read of each of our countries, and we've all written them, has the objective of eradicating poverty. But if we were to sit down and as academics and analysts look in detail at the plans that we have, I think it would be quite difficult to say uh, in 10 years time we would have reduced it by 10% because the how is missing from our plan. And so it's vital that again we utilize our intellectual resources, our universities, to help us to shape the future and to develop concrete plans that actually work. I am really of a mind that our universities need to be generators of new knowledge, as the best universities in the world are. But what we must not do is believe we become the best by being like the West. We must become the best by being quality Africans. And I think this is the challenge. We must respond to our African reality 
we must develop innovations that address Africa's challenges. It's no use developing the most wonderful mathematics string theory when you cannot address the issues of development and poverty of the continent. So I think uh, when we again talk of this recasting of our intellectual capabilities, we have to find a way of responding to our challenges. I, I have no difficulty uh, with what they call blue skies research. You know, those are the people who are dreamers, who want to look in the black holes, you know, the color of pulses. Uh, they want to do astronomy sciences, which I like very much, by the way. But what I would like to know from them is if we have, in one African country, 200 informal settlements, which are shanty towns, how do we transform them to smart cities? That is what I believe our intellectuals should help us contribute to. For me, that will be blue sky research, because it will never have been done anywhere before. But we don't regard that as a research issue. We look at other things, and I believe we need to direct ourselves to those questions that respond to the deepest challenges our continent is confronted by. For example, in the health sector, thousands of Africans die every year of sleeping sickness, as it's called. Why are we unable to find the solution to this? Why have we been unable to address the issue of a vaccine for HIV as African scholars and intellectuals? Why haven't we, since the Second World War, found a new treatment for tuberculosis? We must answer these questions because these are problems deeply affecting us as Africa. And our inability to resolve them render us the prisoner of other systems rather than the determinant of our own future. So these are the challenges I face before you. Of course, all countries must have the ambition of advancing their scientific and technological development. We've seen that in the 21st century, all of us are really challenged and we cannot answer some of these questions through international scientific diplomacy, an area that I really have a great interest in. And essentially, what international science diplomacy promotes is the development of real partnerships in which we work together through science and technology to respond to the range of knowledge challenges that we must confront as institutions and as the continent. Science diplomacy can be used very effectively as part of the efforts of a country to improve that intersection between science, technology, and international policy. The global community has acknowledged the work done by the American Association for the Advancement of Science. And I must boast here that I received an award from this association for promoting science diplomacy. They have done a great deal of work to ensure that they popularize the cause of science diplomacy. Now, what is often a challenge for us 
we do have many of our scientists that participate in international science research groups, but a lot of them tend not to be principal researchers. The research is not focused on issues of intellectual challenge on the continent, and we are not bringing in other African intellectuals to be part of the research group. So we take up some of us, many projects supported by the Horizon 2020 EU funding, but we don't really focus on research that has the subject as the continent. And I think for us, science diplomacy doesn't mean I'm partnering with a scientist in New Zealand. It means I establish that partnership to advance knowledge generation on the African continent. We have to have Africa as the center of what we do. That is not a limitation. It's an advancement. Our challenges are so many that if we focus on addressing them and successfully respond to them, we will be unique in the world because we will have become innovative. So I do think we must define science development as African science development. We have made a great deal of progress as Africa, and I, I must never undermine the progress we've made. Uh, we have begun to use science evidence in formulating both public as well as international policy. The University of South Africa has a presence in various countries throughout the continent. And I believe that what we should see the university do is encourage research partnerships between Cameroonians and Ethiopians, between Nigerians and Kenyans, so that we build international science diplomacy across the African continent among African researchers as well. This will mean building particular types of research funding uh, offerings which encourage these kind of diverse African uh, partnerships. This will be an excellent way of strengthening networks for research across our continent. Of course, partnerships help you to bring together a range of skills, a range of challenges to be addressed, and a range of resources that can be devoted to the research task. And I really would encourage greater diverse collaboration across the African continent. I'm one of the people who believe that if you do a PhD, some of your research must be international. Never do a PhD only in your location. Then you are very limited in the work that you've done. I do think that what we must encourage is part of your PhD must always be in another country. Because then you become a truly knowledgeable researcher who is educated at a very, very senior level. So let us really look at the nature of research partnerships at the form of graduate training uh, that we do. And let us be innovative and change the aspect to ensure we develop international knowledge in our young people and we don't have pedestrian national knowledge that doesn't really expand uh, the intellectual opportunity. I believe science, technology, innovation are at 
absolute enablers for achieving the socio-economic development goals of Africa. They will help us if we use these disciplines, they will help us to build on our vast ecosystems of bilateral and multilateral relationships driven by shared values, common interests, and policy imperatives. I think we must develop such science and research networks and collaborations. We should look as researchers at how we give effect to the achievement of Agenda 2063. Because it's us as Africans who must influence its successful implementation. Agenda 2063 has a range of priority areas. Someone should be gathering information on the progress we're making with the infrastructure components, the progress we're making with the digital components, the progress we're making with water access, the progress with agriculture, because all these sectors are part of Agenda 2063. And it is only universities that can play the role of that monitoring and evaluation and the support then to ensure that policy development responds to where we're not performing very well and massifies, massifies those aspects where we are successful. I also think we need to look at how the innovation ecosystem is developed within our continent. Do we have capable intellectual property practitioners? Do we have technology support offices in our universities? Is government providing enough funding for researchers to be able to commercialize the research that they do. So if you don't have an ecosystem that includes both public as well as private and of course higher education institutions, you will not achieve the success that is required. Successful science development countries will tell you that it was the ecosystem that made the difference. The ability to use it and its various components to good effect, to integrate for good innovation outcomes is what led to Finland being what it is today. So we need to mirror those uh, developments and, and processes. It's no good for our governments not to fund the projects of researchers. How do we expect to have innovation? We're not magicians. Science requires science workers. And it's only if government provides that funding that we will do well. If government attracts the private sector to work with the public, that's when the difference will emerge. That's when we'll have innovative digital products. That's when we will do agro-processing at the highest value addition level. That is the point at which we will know in concrete terms what we mean by beneficiation of our mineral resources. But without this integrated ecosystem of innovation, very difficult to perform. And so government is challenged to support our researchers. Government is challenged to make an intellectual study of what achievement of the Sustainable Development Goals means, to make a clear study of what addressing the impact of climate change means. 
and universities are the resource for us to do that. So then, this theme that the university has developed has committed the university to continuing adapting its knowledge production modalities, to adapt its research functions, its innovation focus, and its community engagement, very important, community engagement approach, approaches, as well as commitment to addressing the evolving needs, as I said, of our African continent. All of us have an important role in ensuring sustainable economic growth for all our people on African, the African continent. Developed countries spend a great deal of money on research development and innovation as part of their recovery plans for current and future global economic crises. One of the interesting things about Africa, we, com we copy the West on anything except science and innovation in and yet, it is science and innovation that has made developed, developed countries as wealthy as they are. They've ensured, even in the context of the COVID-19 economic decline, that they don't reduce funding for research and innovation. We must be the same. Strong developing countries such as India and Brazil are reaping the benefits of investment in science, technology, and innovation-driven policies. Advances in technological knowledge have made possible significant reductions in poverty and improved the quality of life in China, in India, and in Brazil. We must learn from those lessons. Dear colleagues, ladies and gentlemen, Governments have also placed focus and resources on expanded and strategic internationalisms in the areas I've mentioned of joint research and innovation initiatives, on building human capacity through international mobility. And when I speak of mobility, I don't mean Africans going to Germany, I mean Germans coming to Africa. I don't mean Africans running to the United Kingdom, I mean the English coming to Africa. So mobility must mean a mobility where all of us are beneficiaries. This is absolutely important. And of course, we must ensure that we strengthen and grow the research infrastructure of our continent. I remember meeting a young man who had posed his MSc engineering studies because the one engineering drawing technical instrument in the one laboratory in his university had broken down and they had to wait for someone to come from overseas to fix it. So he had to stop his research for six months. Absolutely shocking. We must not allow that to happen. Our young people deserve excellent science laboratories. We must have technicians ready who can repair scientific instruments. Our young people should be able to do their research in the time in which they have at our institutions, and we must establish innovation hubs where they become full-time researchers supporting development and change on the African continent. Absolutely imperative that we do this. We must, of course, support 
new areas of scientific development, such as the one referred to by the Vice-Chancellor, that is developing the largest radio astronomy infrastructure of the African continent, the Square Kilometre Array, as well as the Artemis program. We must support African countries and young students that are part of these important research infrastructure initiatives and allow them to play a role in the world's leading radio telescopes and deep space monitoring capacities. I believe it is probable that the Square Kilometre Array, which is being built in South Africa and seven other African countries throughout the continent, I believe one of the first Nobel Science Prizes will be awarded because of the SKA. It's a premier research in, uh, infrastructure program that Africa is involved in. The Atomus program is a human and robotic moon exploration program that is led by NASA, involving the European Union, Japan, and the Canadian space program. Its long-term goal is to establish a permanent human base on the moon and potentially thereafter on Mars. These are all exciting initiatives that we need to be a leading uh, part of. What we've also seen is science has helped us to have a better understanding of complex global crises such as climate change, the erosion of biological diversity, as well as pollution throughout the world. As we understand these crises, we begin to develop the first steps toward addressing them. I'm really pleased that with the outcomes that were secured at the recent COP27 summit on the shared threat to our environment, science played a key role in the final decisions. At a bilateral level, I'm really happy at the successful cooperation in the field of science between South Africa and Ethiopia. And I'm pleased that that cooperation includes endeavors in space science and technology. The project is implemented by the South African National Space Agency and the Ethiopian Space Science and Geospatial Institute. We must harness this cooperation and make it work to the good scientific success of Africa. Of course, what must happen, of course, is that we should also see deeper dialogue between policymakers and innovators, particularly scientists. As politicians, we are very afraid of scientists. You see, they're very frank people. And because they're analytical, they don't come to you and tell you what is nice. They tell you, Minister, your agricultural policies are ruining the potential of food security in the future. Please look at this. And if you've developed that policy as a minister, you get very angry. But we need to learn to use this interface to the good of our country. <laughs> what it will help us do is to really end this gap that exists between innovation and creativity because we want to guard territory so closely. We have to ensure that our universities, our science councils, our think tanks, our state-owned companies, industry, and innovation and technology hubs make use of initiatives 
such as the continental free trade area, as well as the digital transformation strategy of Africa. We've got to use all of the instruments we have to create the Africa we want. Of course, we have all these wonderful African proverbs. Uh, I even heard President Putin quoting this one. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. This applies to the progress that we need in the field of science. The solutions that science creates and needs are borderless, and they require collective effort. They are also multidisciplinary. So if you think the solution in agriculture can only be determined by agricultural scientists, you are mistaken. You need the social scientists to engage the community and persuade them to appropriate new approaches and new solutions. So multidisciplinarity is extremely important to what we need to do. We in the African Union have stated our ambition to reinforce science, technology, and innovation capabilities in Africa. We have agreed that science will help to reboot weaker multilateral institutions, which are absolutely crucial to achieving our development aspirations. We must utilize our membership of multilateral and minilateral partnerships to bridge the digital divide and secure access to technology so that we create multiple jobs and opportunities for our young people and attract investment. So essentially, what I'm saying is that we, as political leaders on the continent, must create a conducive environment that allows science to flourish on our continent and in all countries of the South. As members of the developing South populations, we are often seen as beggars when we ask for access to key technologies for our development. Developed countries place hefty requirements, unfair and discriminatory trade regimes, which limit our advances in science. Again, we must cooperate as Africa in rejecting this unfair discrimination against us. We saw the COVID pandemic, that effective health solutions are science-based. Developed countries use their scientific research capabilities and were quick to respond. We were rather slow. On a positive note, as South Africa, we've also become part of launching through the World Health Organization an mRNA hub, which will be led by Afrigen supported by a number of pharmaceutical companies, including the NAT South Africa Laboratory. The hub will collaborate with the mRNA hub by providing RNA enzymes that are required to produce vaccines. This will take place not just in South Africa, but in eight other African countries which have become the spokes of the regional hub that is South Africa. This is going to be a tremendous contribution to ensuring that Africa is not left behind when the world is faced once more with a debilitating pandemic 
such as the COVID-19 experience. Achieving the status of a hub and this technology transfer did not come easy. You will remember how we had to fight at the WTO to get access to intellectual property, and we just wanted it for a temporary period, not forever, but we had to wage a real battle to get that access. So now that we've won a limited relaxation of intellectual property rights by the WTO, we must make good on this space and ensure that the continent develops vaccines for a range of diseases that are prevalent on the continent and that never again will Africa be last in the queue for solutions for a pandemic. We of course also need fundamental transformation and modernization of the global financial architecture and reform of multilateral development banks to make them fit for purpose to assist developing countries with sustainable development and just transition efforts. By addressing issues such as debt, risk aversion to investing in developing countries, and creating markets in developing regions for new technologies such as green hydrogen, these development financing institutions will be playing a positive role on the continent. And if they invest in our science capabilities, the full power of science, technology, and innovation will be unleashed in Africa. So I conclude by saying the possibilities of science are limitless. And as we proceed with groundbreaking research and innovation, it is going to be inevitable that multilateralism will become more and more important and will be strengthened as countries break through frontiers with far greater speed and effectiveness through working together. My hope is that in rebooting multilateralism, in recasting it, science will also help to fortify the bonds of global solidarity on many of the pressing issues of our time. It is time that the issues of Africa become the preeminent issues of the globe. But it is only if we, as Africans, make that our agenda that we will achieve this objective. I thank you very much for